Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. I want to welcome all of you who are doing church at home. We are glad that you are here for our brand new series called Essential. Now, the whole point of this is I have heard so many conversations floating around where people are asking, well, are you essential? Oh, no, I'm non-essential. And so I thought that was kind of funny. You know, I mean, when did we wake up one day and people are asking, are you essential? No, I'm not essential today. Or yes, I am essential. And so, well, when everything weird happens out there, you can always bet on the internet to make fun of it. And I enjoy that. So let's see what's going on in the internet about essential, non-essential, okay? Here's a guy, got a letter that says I'm an essential employee, got a paycheck that says I'm not. Boy, is that true for so many people. Here's another one. Having to work every day as an essential employee, listening to people complain on the radio about being told to stay home. You know, I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, here's one. Essential workers trying to process the 35th policy change in the last three weeks. You know, it's like every day it's a different one. You know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Baptize hand sanitizer. No, it's bad for, you know, it's just going all over the place. Here's one. When you leave your family because you're from the essential employee district. Little Hunger Games there, I like that. So, well, part of the reason why uh, I thought that this was something we should talk about is because after the lockdowns happened, about, oh, two months in, I was out uh, at a store and I ran into a couple who are from a church. And one of the things that was going on is I was like, hey, I miss seeing you guys so much. And they go, well, we see you every Sunday. And I said, well, that's awesome, but I never get to see you. And, and so we were asking, and he owns a business, and they've done really, really well. She worked part-time in the healthcare field. And they've just, were just, life was really, really good. The Lord was blessing them a lot. And then this hit, and I said, how's it going? He goes, well, it's really interesting because I guess I found out that I'm not essential. And my wife, who's working part-time, she is essential. So now she's working triple shifts, you know, and it's just totally upended and it's, you know, devastated my business. And I thought, wow, how interesting that is for so many people in our society today. And that is, is that they're being told that they're essential or they're not essential, but it's all based on what service or skill that they provide or have. And I am not here to talk about the veracity of this or the approach of the government to this day. What I want to talk about today is what happens when our society decides who's essential and not. And is that a good thing? These lockdowns have proven one thing to be so true. And that is, is that a lot of people are struggling emotionally and spiritually. As a matter of fact, a stat just came out that really shocked me. And that was one out of every four young adults have considered ending their life because of the lockdown. So that is just, I mean, a massive over a thousand percent increase in what normally young people are dealing with. And what that tells me is that Lockdowns have revealed something. And you know what they've revealed? They've revealed that a lot of people are, are 
empty on the inside. They have not experienced a soul renewal, a wellspring that rises up and overflows because deep in their soul, they don't believe that they are essential. And the main reason why I believe is because society is what they look to to affirm their value, their sense of meaning. And society has been saying, look, you're essential because you can do this and you can do that. And this is awesome. Isn't that cool? And then suddenly society goes, oops, you're not essential. Stay home and stay out of sight. We don't want you around. Well, when you put all your hope in what society has told you, guess what? That has a massive impact on you spiritually and emotionally when society says, look, you're not essential anymore. That's hard. And so people are kind of working through that. So I thought, what better way for us uh, to dig into this and look at it and find out what is it that really brings deep meaning, a sense of my life is essential and matters to God. Where does it come from and how do you find it? And I have two goals. And my two goals are this. Is number one is I want you to discover that your life is essential. It matters to God. But my second goal is to show you it doesn't matter in the way you think it does. Isn't that kind of odd? But it's true. See, people are struggling with the sense that they matter to God because they have been told it and they have a sense of it in their heart, but their head is not convinced. And when the world or something happens bad, they're not convinced up here. And it's that incongruence that creates anxiety and depression. It's incongruence of belief that causes so many behavioral issues in our lives. So we're gonna dig into it by studying the book of Ephesians, all right? And the book of Ephesians is an interesting book. And so I just have a couple facts about it up here. It was written by the Apostle Paul. The church there that he wrote it to uh, was a church he planted in the city of Ephesus, and then he left. The church was doing really, really well, but it was being persecuted from the outside. And so people were uh, really destroying their businesses. They were uh, throwing them in jail, seizing their property. It was really, really bad because of what they believed. And so Paul writes to them and says, instead of correcting a wrong doctrine or a behavioral issue in the church, you know what he does? Is he says, God has a cosmic plan, and this is how you're a part of this cosmic plan, and that can give you hope in the midst of whatever you're facing. So that's the book that we're going to be studying. And I have a simple challenge for you. And that is like I do in every series is that I challenge you to read the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters long. It's very, very short. Now, if you don't like to read, then download the version Bible app on your phone and then go to Ephesians chapter one. And at the bottom, you'll see this little tiny icon with a a triangle in it on the side. It's a play button. You hit that, it will read it to you. So you can read it while you're working out in the morning. You can read it while you're brushing your teeth, making breakfast. You can read or hear it, listen to it while you're fixing your hair. And if you're fixing your hair, you might have opportunity to listen to the whole book. I thought that was funny personally. <laughs> I thought that was funny. But anyway, today we're going to dig into chapter one, and we're going to do verses three through 14. So get in your Bible, 
in whatever way that you've brought it. And we're going to do verses 3 through 14. And as I read through this, uh, you're going to notice up on the screen that some of these things are kind of highlighted a little bit in yellow. And I'm going to give just a little bit of commentary as I read through it, okay? Verse 3 is where we begin. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. So, in the heavenly realms, God has blessed you and me with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, how does that spiritual blessing up there come down here? Okay, so let's move on. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, this is important to understand that this word in his sight is very similar to when parents say to their kids, hey, you can play, but I want you in my sight. I want to be able to see you, right? And so it's kind of like that. It's a statement of presence. So he wants you in his presence. Let's keep going on in verse five. In love, he predetermined, he predestined us for what? adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a female, this means as a daughter through Jesus Christ. So the bottom line is, is that he just doesn't want us in his sight. He wants to adopt us into his family. And this was a plan he had before the creation of the world. All right. In accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, meaning Jesus Christ. Verse seven goes on to say, in him, now you're starting to see he has this predetermined plan that we're going to receive something from Christ. What are we going to receive? In him, we have redemption, okay? Through his what? Blood. So the reason why Christ died on the cross is so that you and I could receive God's spiritual blessing in our life right here, right now through Jesus Christ. How does he do this through his blood? His blood is able to forgive us of sins. So all of our flaws, mistakes, you know, shortcomings are wiped away so that we can now be holy and blameless in God's presence. All right. This is in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he did what? lavished on us, meaning he just dumped it on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in, now we see it again, Jesus Christ. Verse 10, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus. So what this basically means is that Jesus is how this entire cosmic plan of God works. doesn't work any other way. It only works through Jesus. Let's go on and see what happened next. In Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined, you see that word predetermined again, according to the plan. Oh, so there's a plan of God. God has this big plan. It's a cosmic plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose. Oh, his plan has a purpose. It's about his will. All right. In order that, this is a a purpose clause, and it basically in Greek tells you why he did all this. So that when we who were the first to what? 
put our hope in Christ. So you and I have a hope, right? Sometimes we put our hope in our family. We put our hope in our job. We put our hope in middle school being asked to the dance. You know, we put our hope in this. We put our hope in that. But what we're saying is that at some point, we have to choose where to put our hope, right? And when we put it into Christ, we who are the first to put our hope in Jesus might be for the praise of his glory. And then he finishes off saying, and because of this, you also were included. So when we choose to put our hope in Jesus instead of worldly things, we are now included in Christ when we heard the message of truth. So I was able to put my hope in Jesus because I heard the message of truth, right? I just didn't hear it, but you know what else I did? The gospel of your salvation. When you believed. So when I chose to say, you know, I believe that this is true. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So he gave a inheritance of every spiritual blessing up there. How does it come down here? Through the plan and purpose and work of Jesus Christ. And so the point of my life now is that I hear the truth, I believe the truth, and then I put my hope in Jesus Christ. And when I do that, what do I receive? I receive the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit, meaning it's a guarantee of my inheritance. Every spiritual blessing up there now is guaranteed coming down to me. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession, this is all to the praise of his glory. Now, what I'd like to do is I would like to show you how there are principles in this teaching, and this principle is for you. Now, these principles I call uh, them as authentic reality, and why you need to know these principles that are coming from this authentic reality is because of what I said earlier. You will never feel essential and as a conviction in your heart until up here you're convinced and you know it, all right? That's very, very important. Now, so many people in our world are raised now today being told, oh man, you're the center of the universe. You're always a winner no matter what. You can dream any dream and you can become it. You know, you can play in the NBA even though you're only 5'2 and you can't dribble a basketball, but that's okay because anything you set your mind out, you can do it. And so what happens is you, you, you start to grow up and you have these dreams and you have all these things, you're super special. And then you go to middle school and it is a rude awakening. And you realize the world is much more cruel than you ever imagined, right? And that's true. That's what happens. And then you get to high school and you become an adult and you realize, wow, the world keeps score and the world standards are really crazy and they're really, really tough. Like if you're a young lady, man, you have my deepest compassion because our world's idea of what is physically beauty is unattainable. I mean, it is literally unattainable. One-tenth of one percent of girls win a genetic lottery and are considered beautiful according to the world standard. And what's amazing is that the people who decide that are really crinkly old ladies. And I'm like, why? That makes no sense to me. If you're a guy, what, what determines whether you're a, 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 a strong, successful young man, it's just amazing to me. Even the idea of uh, financial success. In our American society today, you know what financial success is today? 
It's so unobtainable, it's ridiculous. They did a survey out there. They asked a bunch of people that had a net worth between five and 10 million. And you know what 99% of them said? They asked them the question, are you wealthy? They said, no. When, you, when will you be wealthy? They said, when I earn five more million. That, that seems to me a little out of whack. And what that means is that when you live in this society, when you live in this culture, when you live in this situation, that begins is that my heart wants to feel, my heart wants to believe that I matter, but this tells me, ah, no matter how hard you try, you're just never going to measure up. Okay, that's why these principles from this text are critical because they're gonna convince you that your life does matter, but just not in the way you think. Let's dig in. Your life matters because, and these are all in the phone app on the message notes section of our, our app on your phone so you can fill them in and you can uh, uh, keep a record of these. Number one, you are, your life is essential because you're created in the image of God for a purpose. This is super important for me to communicate this because a lot of people who do what I do, they truncate this, meaning they shorten it and they miscommunicate something. What they say is this. They say, well, your life matters because you're breathing. You know, you're on the right side of the grass. Therefore, you have value. But I think it's really important to understand that what this passage of Scripture is saying is that well, that's not the whole truth. The whole truth is that your life matters because you were created for a purpose, all right? And that's important to know. Number two, you are at the center of God's cosmic plan. You know, when I was reading that, you see all this stuff going on. You're over here. Well, God, before the creation of the world, what does he do? You know, he has this plan. And this part of this plan has Jesus. And Jesus is coming. And there's this plan and purpose. And his will is that we'll be made righteous. And there's all this stuff going on. It's like this cosmic swirl, just like a galaxy. And who's in the center of it? You are. You're in the center. You are the point of God's cosmic plan. And the point of his plan was that you and I would be made capable of being in his presence. That is the point and purpose of it. Now, number three is that Jesus came to make you righteous, meaning holy and blameless in God's sight. There's something about you and me that doesn't allow us in God's presence. And so what Jesus came for, the whole purpose and plan of God, was to do something to us in order that we could now be holy and blameless in God's sight. Does that make sense so far? Number four, the next principle is what you believe makes a huge difference. You have been given the opportunity to choose. Now, if you choose not to believe God's cosmic plan, God's purpose, God's will, who Jesus is, what he did in order to bring you back into a relationship with God, guess what? You'll never feel essential. No matter how hard you try, in your soul of souls, you'll never be convinced. Why? Because of principle number five, and that is this. Your heart is a vessel. It's a container. No matter how hard you try to fill it, you will always be thirsty again until your heart is filled with God's grace. God, when you go back into his presence, 
So your vessel is now filled because your faith opens the lid. You can't fill it, but you can open the lid through faith and God's grace lavishes upon you. Jesus said, when you drink of the water I give you, you will never thirst again, and then it will become a wellspring that wells up within you and overflows. That's called experiencing the lavish grace of God. And these principles, all five of them, are super critical for you and I. I hope you get the picture. I hope you get the picture that you have dignity and you have an essentialness about you because you are created in the image of God. You have dignity because you are created as the will of God. His plan, his purpose has you at the center of it. You're at the center of what God is doing. But you remember, it's your faith that opens up based on what you believe that allows this process of God's plan to take place. Now, if you've been around here for 25 years, you know that uh, uh, there's a part of me that's a little pyro, I guess, you know. Um, I like to burn things and blow things up. I'm a big fireworks fan. So I just thought what I would do is I would try to illustrate this for you a little bit. And I do these on occasion just to kind of put a picture in your mind, okay? Now, like I said before, God has a plan, right? And his, is so that you would be in his presence. But there's a problem is because we can't be in his presence because God is holy and blameless. He's perfect. So he is an all-consuming fire, Oh, helps if I turn on. Okay. Now, this is a uh, this is a little plumber's unit, you know, so they can sweat pipe on it. But what happens is when we live in this world, there's various things that we try to do with our lives. Sometimes we think, you know what, my soul is empty, so I am going to enjoy the fruit of this world, this material world, right? And, the, and we buy into that. Well, the difficulty is, is when you buy into the fruit of the world, I believe this is a plum, is when it enters into the presence of God, what's gonna happen to this plum? Oh yeah, it's getting roasty toasty. Ooh, it's turning, oh, it's starting to burn. Wow, burnt plum tastes, smells really funny. Okay, there's enough of that. Some people say, hey, you know what I'd like to do is I, I just want to live life. So I got some cheese, you know, because cheese is protein. And when you're on the go and your kids need to keep going, what do you do? You say, eat a cheese stick, right? Keep going. You just, you want to suck the, the very marrow out of every experience in life, right? So that kind of, this is what it represents. So you live that way. And it's kind of fun for a while, but there's something a little not quite. So you say, hey, I want to be in the presence of God. The problem is you bring that in the presence of God is, oh, man, anybody want some fried cheese? I hear this is popular in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's not going to make it. So some people say, you know what, though, pleasure. It's all about pleasure. It's all about fun. It's all about these things. So this is a poppy seed muffin. Does a poppy seed muffin represent fun and footloose and francy free than, more than anything else? It's either this or cotton candy, and I couldn't get any cotton candy. So it's poppy seed, right? So what happens with poppy seed, you know? Footloose and fancy free, fun, 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 gets in the presence of God. 
So, oh, that's really not looking too good. This is like that guy who put his marshmallow too much in the fire. Wow, burnt poppy seed. That's interesting smell. I hope the units don't pick that up. So here's the deal. If you want to be in the presence of God, what has to happen to you? If you're a cheese stick or a poppy seed or a plum or anything else, you could be even this metal fork. And if I leave it in there long enough, what's going to happen to it? It's going to turn red hot and it's going to melt and cease to exist. What you have to do is you have to become like it. So you're living life and your life will not light up until it comes into contact with the living God. This is God's plan. This is what God is doing. He is trying to change you through the blood of Jesus Christ to make you holy and blameless so that you can be in his presence. This doesn't make you God, but it makes it so you can possibly be in his presence. You don't become the same stuff as God, but you can be in his presence. So I hope now you have a picture in your mind of what it what I'm talking about, what I'm trying to illustrate is what this passage of scripture has been talking about. And this is why your life is essential. This is why your life matters to God. Because God is the all-consuming flame. And his plan and purpose was to bring you back into his presence. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. For some of us, we have a massive amount of things that we have picked up, failures and flaws and bad decisions. And those things continue to just hang on. It's really important to understand that Jesus Christ came to transform you and give to you through his lavish grace holiness and blameless righteousness so that you can be in the presence of God. Now, if you reject this point, if you reject what Paul is writing here in Ephesians chapter one, my position, my belief, my conviction is that you will never experience true authentic sense that your life matters. And here's why. Because your heart may want to, but your head will never be convinced. You see, if you reject this principle, if you reject God's plan and purpose, then I defy you to give me a rational basis for your reason for living. I defy you to come up with a rational one, not an emotional one, just a rational one that explains why you're alive and that your life has meaning and purpose. I defy you because you cannot rationally, logically do it. So I told you earlier that one in four young people are struggling with ending their life. Why? Because there's no rational reason. Even though their heart tells them that maybe their life has value, they cannot convince their brain that they do. And what's important to understand is that 
I went on to uh, a lot of different websites and a lot of different groups to discover what are they saying to these young adults, convincing them that they should still continue to live. Let's give them a reason. And you know what their reasons were? Here they are. Number one, life is always changing. You'll eventually feel better. Okay, but my heart can say that, but my brain is going to tell me, look, What's the point of feeling better if there's no rational basis for existence? Another one was this. You can learn and you can grow. Don't give up because you were meant to learn and grow. Meant to learn and grow? Meant for what? Why do I learn and grow? What's the end point? There is no point. So you lose your rational basis for a reason to live. Another one was really popular and that is this, is that eventually you'll experience love and love is the fulfillment of the human experience. But then the next question is this, is who defines love? And how do you, how can, uh, an, I'm an imperfect person and another imperfect person is gonna love me perfectly so that my soul is filled? That Emotionally, that sounds really good. But up here, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I could keep going on and on, but you get the point. And the point is this, is that there's no rational basis for a reason for living. Those are all emotional in their orientation. You see, a rational basis does this. A rational basis says, my life matters because there's a difference between a tree and a human being. There's a difference between a rock and a human being. And let me tell you what it is is that God created us, God has a cosmic plan. And God's cosmic plan is to bring us back into his presence through the work of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to reject that because when I reject that, I'm rejecting everything. I'm rejecting the entire rational basis for my existence and for everybody else's existence. What I'd like you to know is this, you are essential because of God's will. You're essential because of God's purpose. You're essential because of God's plan. You are essential because of God's action. You're essential because of God's love. You're essential because being created in God's image means you were created for a purpose, your capacity to choose, your capacity to believe, and your capacity to act. Like I showed earlier, your reason for existence is not something that resides in your own self. It has to reside in your head. It has to reside in your heart in order for the you that is you to know this truth. But you can't create it within yourself. You must receive it from God. That's what we're going to study. That's what we're going to dig in. And that's what we're going to see is why all of these things on all these banners, discipleship, mission, marriage, parenting, all of these things come out of an, a conviction, not just a knowledge, but a conviction that you matter to God because you are becoming a part of his plan and his purpose. So let's let Steve show us steps we should take right now in order to experience what God wants to do in our lives. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.